Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. So Lauren, with the second part of our podcast, we're going to be diving a little bit more into female entrepreneurship. And I know you have a vast amount of experience with this. Uh, recently, I actually read your blog. Um, I'm just going to pop here. It's Talk Up, Not Down. I remember the title. Could you tell me a little bit more about your experience uh, just from a female business owner lens in terms of, I, I know you, um, it was your third time actually going to bank where you actually got the kind of the go-ahead, right? And the first two, they didn't go well. Could you talk a little bit more about that and your experience with just the whole process starting your business from a female perspective? Yeah, this is like, a, this one gets a little, I have to watch myself with this because I, I so don't have any hard feelings about men in the business world, but I do still intrinsically feel like it is more challenging for women. Um, and so the story with the banks was that um, I know some other friends of mine and they had gone to a bank, the bank for loans and presented business plans. And it was pretty much like smooth sailing for them, pretty easy peasy. And um, the business plan I had, I knew was sound. Like I also, I have a business partner who's a male um, and we had done this plan together. He actually is not a physio, but he's more of a business sort of mind. And he had helped me. He he's my number one mentor. Like I wouldn't be here where I would, you know, where I am without him. And so with his guidance, like I knew our plan was good. And so when we were turned down from the first bank, I should say I was turned down from the first bank. I was kind of like, well, all right, that, that didn't go well, but I can own up to the fact that that was my first time, you know, presenting a business plan. It's, it's very possible that my, my presentation was kind of shaky or, um, you know, I've never done this before. I, I, I remember thinking that I was a little bit not great with language, you know, like there's this whole business, um, vernacular that I just was not as familiar with, you know, it's not our, it's not our, not our strength as physios. So I was able to own that one. The second one really, really pissed me off because I knew my stuff inside and out. I was so prepared for that presentation. And first of all, um, the gentleman at the bank was about half an hour late for appointment, which didn't really, you know, strike me as being fantastic, but okay, whatever stuff happens. Um, and honestly, Justin, I could tell within about the first eight seconds that he didn't take me seriously. And I, it's hard to say it's because I'm female. I don't like to think that that's the case. I also know I look very young. Like I have a young face and that's something I'm very aware of. And when I'm presenting myself in public situations, um, I, I know that people tend to need to hear me speak a little bit first before they tend to take me more seriously. I have awareness around that and have worked actually intentionally on um, like body language in presentation type settings. Um, and he just could care less what I had to say. Like he literally didn't even look at our plan. He gave it like a quick kind of 
scoot through and um, said, you know, this just really isn't something that's, that's going to work for us. And I was mad. Like I was really mad. Um, and so I went back and I met with my business partner again and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Like, I'm not sure. Like if I don't think it's our data, but I feel like I need some reinforcement here. So on the third meeting, we went to TD and my partner came with me. And the first thing I noticed is that the banker spoke entirely to him the entire time, despite my partner saying, you know, listen, this is her business. Like she's the majority shareholder here. Like I'm just like kind of the sidekick. And I remember I was like, thank you. In my mind, he said that at one point to the banker, it's her business. And I remember thinking like, thank you so much for doing that. And like having my back on this and the banker looked at me for about three seconds and then promptly turned back to my partner and kept talking. And I was like, what the hell? Like, (laughs) this is just so, this is so ridiculous. And, um, it was that bank that we got the loan from. And then funny enough, when we got approved for the loan, the banker sent the approval to my partner and not to me. (laughs) Wow. So, and again, I I don't want to be, I can't paint everyone with the same brush. It's very possible that we just were dealing with people that were maybe not the nicest people or just didn't have a good um, jive with my energy. I can't say it's like completely like a a male thing, but it sort of was a bit funny the way that it, it worked out a little bit. And it was hard not to feel like going into these meetings, um, I was already at a disadvantage. And it also makes me think of even like men and particularly women of other races. Like I'm a white female and you know, there's so much research on like black women who go in for business loans and they're, they're turned down and, um, like minorities who are not treated as well in the healthcare world. And like, I can't help but think that I had maybe just seen a slice of that as um, like an educated white female. And I think that, you know, if you extrapolate that to, to other minority races, I can only imagine that it's palpably worse. So it's a bit of a sore spot with me and I really, really try moving forward to always be open to, um, other women who especially are in these sort of like these really crux spots where they, they need something to happen. They need a bit of a break in order to make the next step in their journey. Um, because it's hard. It's, it is definitely harder, I would say for women than it is for men. Well, first, thank you for sharing your vulnerability. And that's, that's part of the reason why I love kind of doing this is because I get to learn, you know, people's story and, you know, like your quote unquote failures, right? And going back to what you mentioned before is that a lot of people might see failure as, you know, it's not success, right? It's not growth. But for you, right, a lot of people might be like, after the first time, they, they give up, right? But for you, that first time, no. Second time, no. Third time, that was, you know, that, that was the one that stuck. Right. And look at where the running physio is today. Right. It's, you know, the beautiful clinic, you guys have so much success there. So, um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that part. Um, now going back to kind of, you talked about a little bit more about that kind of stigma behind female entrepreneurship. Can you elaborate a little bit more about this specifically maybe to, um, our industry and, um, some things that you've learned along the way? Yeah, I think, um, one thing for any male or female entrepreneur to ask themselves is, are you, are you intrinsically a leader or are you a manager? Because those are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Leaders are um, the people who sail the boat. 
and they see the mountain range ahead and say that way. And managers are the people who are on the deck directing the boat into that direction. And a strong company um, absolutely needs to have both. But the terms I think are often um, used interchangeably, not correctly. Now, I think once you've determined which you are, leadership and management both, I think, are still seen as being best when done from a masculine energy. So I still think that people tend to view leaders and CEOs and CFOs and people who are, you know, quote unquote bosses. I, I hate that word so much. It just has this like that everyone else is less than connotation to it. But I still think that the boss mentality is very surrounded by, um, again, these more like masculine characteristics. So being very assertive, being able to delegate strongly, um, being goal oriented, target oriented, things that need to get done quickly and efficiency efficiently. But that, and I think those are good traits in small amounts because when you ignore or neglect traditional quote unquote, more feminine energy things like empathy and how things feel and softer skills, more social skills. What's the, what's the atmosphere of your clinic like today? Is one of your physios having a tough go? Is, does your patient need a cry? Those more, again, like typically considered feminine energy things, those give you so much information, mm -hmm. so much information. And a good leader can take both. They can see that if we want to be hitting our targets and we want to be hitting our goals, you have to have both patients and staff that are emotionally fulfilled. And so I think um, women need to not be afraid to step into these management roles, these leadership roles for fear that they're not assertive enough or they can't feel comfortable making big decisions because they still have so much value to bring to the table within their capacity of just viewing things from a women's personality and a women's side of things, you know? And again, I'm not trying to say men are like this and women are like this, but, but it's more sort of like breaking the conditioning of what we traditionally consider to be a leader of a company or a manager of a company, you know, mm -hmm. and, and almost harnessing that as a female. And when you can, it's super powerful. It's really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. I, it's, it's awesome. Um, I love when I can have conversations with other women who have harnessed that same thing because we all just get so excited about it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I loved how you mentioned um, the whole part about not having a top down kind of approach in the sense that, you know, you don't like the, the, the whole term bosses, right? Cause that kind of puts a hierarchy as to like, Oh, like this person's the most quote unquote important. Right. And I think that, you know, talking with a lot of other physio clinics that are, you know, that I look up to, right. One of them being propel, right. We had, um, Kyle Whaley on the, on our podcast and he, the way he described the way he runs the clinic is more of a bottoms up approach, right. Where every person is, is seen as, as equal, right. And it's almost as the physios are, you know, quote unquote, the most important parts of your team, right. It's not, it's not the, the, the clinic owner. It's not the, uh, it's not the people at the, like quote unquote at the top, right. It's about kind of everyone working together right now. 
I'm curious as to, you know, you talked a lot about leadership and I totally agree. I think that there's so many different ways of, of leading, right? And it's not just the traditional like macho, like, oh, you got to do this assertive, blah, 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 right? How did you develop your skills as a leader? And, you know, what's, what was that process like for you? Oh, goodness. They're still developing. There are, are totally days where I'll, I'll be driving home and uh, think like, I didn't do that well today, you know, um, because it's, it's such an evolution. And I think a big part of it is, is knowing your staff really well, yeah. which really comes back to hiring, you know, and we all know that you know, hiring traditionally via interview and resume is, is not that good. But then when you actually do it, you realize it really is so useless. Like it's, it's so useless. But once you, once you have a, a solid team, you need to know what their, what their own whys are, you know, bring some Simon Sinek in there. Everyone's got their own why and what they're, what they're gunning for. Um, but you need to know that almost more than they do. And especially when you hire, I would say younger physios, they don't quite maybe even know yet what they want. And so then your role becomes twofold as a leader is helping them to learn what they want, letting them make mistakes, adopting that growth mindset versus the goal mindset. You know, I always say to my team, like, I don't really care if someone's not getting better, you know, like we'll get them better. And if they're really not getting better, well, then we got a problem. Then they have to maybe see maybe another therapist for a different set of eyes. But are people leaving feeling satisfied? Are you leaving feeling satisfied? Right. Because that is what really lets people grow and you have to let them make mistakes. And I can't even tell you how many times, Justin, I've like semi kind of hurt somebody by getting them running too early or I've made a gait adjustment and they come back and they're like, well, my knee pain's great, but now I have plantar fasciitis. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Believe it or not, that was not the point. And I kind of have to like, you know, muddle some, well, that's a normal progression in knee pain, yeah. you know, because that happens. That totally happens. And it, like, that's the nature of, of, of human science is there's nothing linear about it, but you have to let people make mistakes and, and let them um, learn from them in a way that's, that's positive. Um, and I would say the other last piece I would say about what's hard, particularly being a leader in the physio world is preventing your physios from burning out because this profession loves working hard and it's great and everyone likes to make money, but um, the burnout is just so high because it's so energy, it's so much outward energy that happens. And so I, off, I also feel a pretty um, high responsibility for monitoring my physio's like output basically and flagging the burnout before it happens because it's a very real problem in the profession for sure. Yeah. Laura, I think you touched on so many good points there. We kind of, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. Um, The whole part about burnout, like I'm just what, like almost a year and a half, two years out from graduating and the thing, you know, the uh, coming out of the gate, I'm like, yo, I need to make money. I need to, need to pay off OSAP. I, I need to work. Right. And in private practice, obviously, you know, you, you, it's not as quote unquote stable. Right. So I, I was working six days a week. I'm like, yo, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. But I know. what I realized is that, you know, especially in our profession, we're, we're dealing with humans on a day to day basis, right? You're dealing with mm-hmm. people, you're dealing with their emotions, you're dealing with their physical, their, their, their mental, their social energies. Right. And for me as, as I'm a little bit more introverted, but 
that can get taxing, right? And mm-hmm. you're dealing with like people every single day, right? Then it could it could take away from from you, right? And you and your kind of your health and your well being, right? And I think that is so important in terms of burnout because you know we we kind of have that mindset of go go go, but sometimes we need to take a step back and be like, hey, let's try to find a little bit more of I don't like to use the word balance, but you know, kind of uh, how should I say a fine line between you know working and also taking the time to to take care of ourselves and i know you actually had a had a instagram post about that i was reading it and you know it <laughs> i think that the from what i remember it was every single day just three minutes of of activity or movement regardless of if it's structured or not i think i remember that from that post right yeah <laughs> yeah well because so much thinking and I shouldn't say thinking so much um, like subconscious problem solving happens in that downtime, you know, and it's so easy to get caught up in like constant actioning all the time. And whether that be um, like treating more hours with patients, I have seen this happen so many times with physios, myself included, is this concept of I'm just going to push through my day. And, you know, maybe you had like a half an hour break blocked a couple of times, but then a week happens and someone comes in and there's only that, there's like one half an hour spot left in their physio schedule and physio goes, oh yeah, that's okay. I'll just put that person in that, in that 30 minute gap I had. No problem. Stop doing that. That 30 minutes is your break. That's for you. And I don't even care what you're doing. I don't care if you're eating, if you're just stretching or something, but you have to take those little breaks in the day just to let your brain, like watch a cat video, you know, like do something else. Because my ultimate test I like to say to people is if you feel like you're just trudging towards Friday and if your energy feels like it's depleting Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday into Friday, you got to do something about that. Because that's not the way you want to live your life. You don't want to be that person that, you know, like dreads Mondays. And you can still be efficient and busy and make good money. But you really have to recognize that those those micro breaks throughout the day um, and the complete not doing part of your day is just, I would argue it's more important than the doing because without that, you just get into this autopilot robot mode of doing the same thing every single day. And there's no satisfaction in that. There's no satisfaction. You People can tell me they love their job and they love physio, but sorry, nobody loves it like 60 hours a week worth. Like <laughs> no one, no one. <laughs> and to, to yeah. the point, I made that mistake early. I was like, Oh, I have a lunch here. Uh, like, you know, I, I don't yeah. really just, just put just put a client put a client in. Mm-hmm. I, I through, right. But what I realized is that you know, if we trudge through, and, and to your point of like, oh, if you're if you're if you're looking towards Friday, if you're if you're like, oh, I can't wait for that, then think about the what it does with with the clients that you work with, right? If you're not putting all that energy in the session, right, that's going to affect not just the way your interactions, the rapport that you're building, but the whole experience itself, right? And you know, just for me, kind of looking at more from a biopsychosocial lens, right? Yes, there's an important clinical aspect, but a lot of it is focused on what's outside of that, right? So yep. that's like, to me, like, if I could recommend any new grad, uh, to, <laughs> that yeah. it's about understanding, you know, your, your body, you know, what you need and, and kind of preventing or, yeah, preventing burnout in general, right? Now, kind of shifting gears and going back to what you mentioned earlier, um, you mentioned 
having a a space where your uh, with where your 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 physios can grow, right? And uh, you mentioned this in your blog post before about creating a safe environment versus creating a, a, a environment where people are allowed to to grow and be confident, right? Can you tell me a little bit more about what this means in terms of with the running physio? Yeah, so I think this actually ties neatly into the niche part of this too, is um, there's no, and you know, with physio in general, like there's no hard and fast anything that says, if you do this, this will work. You know, and strangely enough, this profession, despite everyone knowing that now, seems to invite all the people in the world and all the type A young, ambitious students out of undergrad that want there to be a definite right. You know, like how much more simple would our world be if if everything just had these like definite rights and wrongs. And so even the people who are very research inclined, I think, can feel frustrated because in their research, there's nothing that says that, um, you know, like I love the IT band, IT band syndrome, so common, so, so, so common. And one fact that I find hilarious about IT band syndrome is that people who have IT band syndrome often have dynamic knee valgus, but not everybody who has dynamic knee valgus is going to get IT band syndrome. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what that says is like, the the real sort of skill in my mind comes from being able to finesse out all of those other big or little variables within a person right and the way that you have to do that is one by listening to them right and two what we were saying in part one is kind of trying something just trying it right and oftentimes you're not going to be right, but you remember those back to my story about the people who have had knee pain and they've come back after I've made a gait adjustment and they've had plantar fasciitis pain that I don't do that anymore. And my logic behind it was quite sound at the time, but I needed to do that. That needed to happen first, right? Were they happy with me? Not entirely. Did they still come back and did they eventually get better? Yeah. For sure. But I think sometimes we think like, like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to do this because I don't want um, my boss to be mad if this person isn't getting better or they feel, especially new grads feel a lot of pressure to get people to get better. You know, I mean, you just spent all this money on a degree that's teaching you how to get people better. Right. So damn it. Like this person better be getting better. Right. But if they're not, there's so many reasons why that can be. And you have to sort of put your ego aside a bit to let yourself think through it. And you also need to be in an environment where that's safe to do so, you know? Um, And so that's, I think what we really kind of try and cultivate within like, even with our mentorship sessions and with my own sort of policy at the clinic is like, you got a question, just ask, you know, or sometimes I'll see somebody doing a really cool exercise in the gym that I don't know. And I'm like, Ooh, that's cool. Like, I'm just gonna kind of step in on this one and like, learn what your thinking is around this, you know, rather than silo yourself in your own sort of like egotistical world of being afraid to screw up, you know? That, that resonates so, so much with me, especially as I still consider myself a new grad, but you know, we're, cause we were expected to at the end of the day, when we're working with clients to get them better. Right. 
And mm. so we put so much pressure on ourselves. Okay, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Well, first thing to your point earlier is that when you go into physio, there's so many different ways of doing things. There's not just one way. I, I learned that like, okay, like, yes, there might be one way to, to get someone better, but there's like literally 20 different ways. So the, my mindset kind of going through school and, and kind of approaching as a, as, a, as, a, as a new practitioner is that just be humble, just be open to all these different schools of thought because they all, at the end of the day, work. Right, and you just have to figure out what works for you and kind of the style that you want to adopt. Right. Yeah. Now, going back to the whole part of creating an environment which is safe and allowing, you know, mistakes to happen. Right. To our earlier part, earlier point about part one, just embracing failure. I think that is so so important in terms of. I read this book. Uh, it's called Mindset. I call it Carol Dweck, and mm-hmm. they were talking about the difference between growth mindset and and and. and uh, a fixed mindset, right? And you can, you can either see failure as, um, as something that's holding you back or something that defines you, or you can see failure as, as an opportunity to grow, right? And mm-hmm. for myself, I was so kind of stuck as a new grad in terms of like, oh, I don't want to do this because like, uh, I don't want to fail. I don't want to make mistakes, especially from my clinic owner, right? Um, you know, who I respect uh, a, a lot, right? I don't want to, you know, mess up because at the end of the day, like if I mess up, then climate not return right and it looks bad on me right and i think the biggest learning point for me is like you just have to try things right and you just have to you have to be open to failing because that is where you're going to grow right and if you don't do that then that's just going to stunt your growth in the long run right and for me it's just like i just have to keep telling myself that it's like hey like this is a space for you to learn right mm-hmm. you're going to make mistakes along the way but ultimately if you learn from your snakes you grow if you learn new things then that ultimately is the goal right and i think that you know what you guys are doing at the running physio is amazing um to to have the aspect because i think that not uh too many clinics embody that right now mm-hmm. i'm curious as to you know with, with with your team working working with an amazing team that you guys have how do you inspire people on your team to take on more leadership roles yeah, um, that's great. So this was one thing that happened in the last year is I had this familiar feeling and usually these when these feelings come along, I spend several nights awake from about two in the morning till six in the morning trying to figure out what it all means. <laughs> Even though I'm trying not to be up, but I can't help it. These, these things come in my head and off they go. Um, but I had this feeling like we have this team with all of these ideas and I'm an ideas person. Uh, one of my, my weaknesses is sometimes I have too many ideas. This is the same thing as it was growing up. Right. And I just want to do all of them. And so I've learned to have to kind of like edit those ideas down and, and not bite off more than I can, I can chew. But we were having all these ideas and I was like, man, I really love all of these, but I just don't, like, I do not have time. Um, And my time aside, to me, that's not success anymore because my definition of success is not me, it's my team, it's the brand. So how can we start to divide and conquer a little bit? So the private physio world sucks a bit because the majority of clinics are still operating under an independent contractor setup, meaning you treat and you get paid for what you treat. And so trying to um, incentivize physios to do more work under like a salary basis can, you know, because if we're not salaried can be really hard. And so um, what we did 
was we designed a handful of roles. So we designed a team lead role and we designed a community role, like a community um, connector role and a marketing lead role. And the physios that took on those roles got an increased on their split. Like, you know, I, I think if people are doing extra work for you, then they should be compensated for it. Right. And just within the limitations of our, um, of our company structure, this was sort of the best we could do and people were happy to do it. But all of a sudden what happened was the physios that were taking on these roles all of a sudden now had this sort of like empowerment because I said um, to Amanda, our marketing role, like, this is yours. This is, this is all you, you know, like run these things past me. If, um, if they're bigger, if it's just Instagram, like go, go nuts. Cause you're amazing at this, you know, and that does a couple things. One is it says to them, I can acknowledge that I'm not the best at Instagram. Like I actually don't love doing Instagram stuff, you know? Um, and who's to say that I'm better at it, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I think you're better at it. So go to town with it. And then that's all of a sudden fun. And, you know, it's something she already liked to do and she's amazing at it. Um, Alana is our community, community coordinator and she's like, she really likes organizing those things and I can do it, but I don't love it, you know? So now I'm saving my energy to do these more sort of macro activities, like keep the clinic running through a pandemic because I've got staff who is happy to take on these roles that, that they like doing. And I also think that the one downside with physio is it can get a little bit monotonous sometimes, you know, especially in the private world. So now they have these kind of alternate roles that take up some time during the week, but again, they're paid higher splits for, but it changes up the way that they get to use their brain, right? It brings in a bit of a creativity side for Amanda and it brings in a bit of a social side for Alana and they're... I mean, as far as I know, maybe they'll listen to this podcast and tell me I'm wrong, but as far as I know, they enjoy, they enjoy taking on those roles and everybody wins because now we're accomplishing more as a team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think the whole point of mixing, mixing things up, that's what I realized really early is that I love, like, I, I love treating as a physio, but if you're treating 40, 50, 60 hours and just doing that, then things can kind of get a little bit stale yeah. and, 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 you know, kind of changing things up in terms of just you know, doing other things, let's say, you know, marketing or, you know, coaching or, or doing other things that helps just kind of tie everything in together, right? Where you're not just mm-hmm. kind of treating all the time, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is, um, I've been reading this book recently called Drive, right? And they talk mm-hmm. about the intrinsic versus intrinsic, intrinsic most extrinsic motivation, right? And the, the three intrinsic motivators or three things that help people get internally motivated are first, uh, autonomy, second, purpose and third mastery right and when you talk about empowerment right to me that just rings off the first two right purpose and autonomy right you're creating an opportunity for the physios that work for you right you're giving them purpose right and you're giving you're letting them reins to go ahead with it right with with mm-hmm. Amanda you know shout out to Amanda you like Amanda I see her page like it's, she's super creative she like I, every time I look at one of her graphics, I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. So good. <laughs> yeah, she's and, so and good. And you're letting them run with it, right? And, and they yeah. feel empowered. They feel like they, they can take their reins, right? And they feel like there's a purpose, right? And I, so, I think that's so important with, with any team is, you know, how do you empower people to do what first they like to do and how do you give them purpose, right? Yeah. Now, going back to what you mentioned before about kind of 
being able to understand your clinicians why like I've, I've chatted with so many clinic owners about this and it's so funny that you mentioned that like that yeah. to me is one of the biggest things that stand out is because I think that traditionally right um, a lot of clinic owners might be just thinking about okay well how can I make this physio let's say work for me all right or how can I make this clinician or whoever it is work for me right but you know you're taking it a, a big step further as to okay how can I understand what this clinician, what, what, what they want to do even before they even want to do that. Right. And how can I kind of shape that journey for them? Right. And mm -hmm. once you identify that and help them towards that, then it's like, you know, this is like going back to the whole culture piece, right. That's, it's so mm -hmm. powerful. Right. Mm -hmm. Now I'm curious as to how, you know, with your growth in the last couple of years, is there anything that you look for in terms of a team member? Like, what do you look for in terms of, in terms of hiring? I know we talked, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier before about, you know, kind of not following the traditional interview. And I, and I totally agree. And we could chat a little bit more about that after, but just to, just to keep it within the timelines of this podcast today, can you tell right. us about that? Yeah. Um, that's a, I think it's a tricky one because it's a moving target and it's, um, it's one of those things that I think changes as your team needs change too. So I think one thing to remember is that typically I think a lot of um, people newer to the workforce. And again, I would say that you can sort of blame classic interviewing on this um, perception is people tend to think that companies want ambitious go-getters who um, are always achieving and always gunning for the next best thing. And companies do need some of those, but can you imagine if you had a team of eight of those people, right? Like it's, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Right. And um, the, those people, the really ambitious folks, the leaders, they're awesome. They're great. You, you need them on your team. You need them as motivators. Um, you need them to push you. Like as a leader, I need those people to keep me on my toes. But I don't want eight of them, you know? Like, <laughs> so you also need to be able to recognize, you know, our team maybe needs um, a little bit more of like a down-tempo energy. So we had a, there was a phase we went through relatively early on where I um, reflected and realized I'd kind of hired a bunch of people who were maybe a little too much like me. <laughs> and we needed just like a little bit more of like a lower oscillating energy to sort of just like round us out a little bit, you know, um, from again, from a team perspective, but also even from a patient perspective is not everybody responds to people who oscillate at ceiling fan level. And sometimes they need someone who's a little bit more um, on the lower end of that energy spectrum, right? And so I think key with your hiring is um, man, like seeing that and managing it. And then, um, you know, there's all the physios are so good. There's so many great physios and I love new grads. They're just like, they're so good. I, I love hiring new grads and motivated, but I end up more recently, I've been hiring more based on the fit for our team. And that doesn't mean that because you're not a fit, you're a bad person. It just means given the landscape of what our team looks like right now, we need to fill in certain parts of the pie more than others. 
And I'm still learning that too. Again, we've been open, what, 20 months now, um, a little under two years. And I'm still sort of figuring out what that, what that looks like, I think, you know, because it's, uh, it's tricky. It's tricky. And you have to be constantly a little bit monitoring of it, I think too. Yeah. Really. And not to bring another book here, but Ray Dalio wrote this book about principles and he mentioned how, you know, with a team, you need to have people that are maybe operating on different frequencies as you, because, you know, they provide a different perspective, different outlook on certain things that might be beneficial to just the overall team in general. Right. And maybe let's say for yourself as an entrepreneur, like you, you, you have a certain way of looking at things, right. But having someone maybe coming from a different lens and be like, Hey, like there's another way for you to look at things, but challenging you in a way where it helps to grow the company as a whole. Right. I think that's mm-hmm. so important. Now, Absolutely. as we're nearing the end of this podcast, I always love to ask um, our, our guests, if you were to go back, you know, 10, 15 years back to, let's say, an 18-year-old, Lauren, what's the one thing that you would say to yourself just in terms of advice from a personal, a business, a, a, a entrepreneurship perspective? I um, spent the majority of my late teens and 20s um, a very anxious perfectionist and... Um, I think I viewed, like, I think my, my opinions on failure now in life are mainly because I spent so much of my life fearing it, you know, and I wish I could tell my 18 year old self to listen to the information that I was getting from how things felt more than I did. So, um, you know, for example, when I was doing a lot of triathlon and a lot of racing uh i was really great at it like on the surface you know like i was winning all these races and it like it seemed so great but it was so achievement based and it's like so goal based in that you would i would peg off a goal and then be left with the what's next mm-hmm. and that is a surefire way to just perpetuate any kind of underlying anxiety that you've already got, because when you don't have a what's next, that anxiety has nowhere to go, right? And so I I would say to old me and to people who that might resonate with, because I think that's a lot of us that are are in the, the what's next, you know, perpetual mindset of like, trust in yourself and trust in what those feelings are telling you. And if you don't want to do something or if something's not feeling good, or if you're starting to feel burned out, then take like, you can do something about that and you don't have to keep pushing yourself in towards the next goal because somebody told you you need to, or because you think you need to, it's fine to start to weigh in how the world is feeling to you and then make decisions based off of that touchier failure stuff as gross as it is to many of us than what the goal says you need to be doing. That resonates so much with me just in terms of, you know, just living in your own fear, right. And having that self limit you. Right. And I think you brought up a great point. And to me, it's, it's about taking maybe a step back to self-reflect and to, to just bring a little bit of awareness of to why you do what you do, what moves, you right what moves lauren right and Mm -hmm. you know taking a step back to take two steps forward right yeah Um, now 
the last question we have for you is, is there any book that you've read that you recommend that's really helped you in terms of your business or entrepreneurship journey? Is there anything that um, you read that particularly stuck out? Um, the number one book I would say, and I think it's been listed here before on the podcast, is um, Kim Scott's Radical Candor. That's just like one of my most favorite books of all time. Um, she just nails a lot of leadership sort of and management techniques like in such a deep and concise way. Um, the other sort of suggestion and it's a little bit dense as Daniel Kahneman's uh, thinking fast and slow. That's another, it's a little bit depthy, like it gets kind of a bit nitty gritty, but it's um, very much based on identifying the different patterns of thought that you have and realizing when your intuition is right and when it might not be right. So it's a bit of a beefy one, but um, he's also on a lot of, a lot of podcasts. There's a great podcast called the knowledge podcast that he's featured on um, as well as John Maxwell, uh, who's another one of my, my favorite authors. He does, he's like the king of leadership, I would say John Maxwell. So his stuff's nice to dabble in a little bit. Um, and then my final recommendation, I would say, any leader needs to have some kind of like mindfulness and awareness to them. So Eckhart Tolle, like just the OG of mindfulness, um, you don't necessarily need to be fully into meditation, but uh, a lot of what Eckhart Tolle talks about is realizing when your ego is coming into play and being able to call yourself and even recognizing it in other people when ego is starting to make decisions and your insecurities are making decisions versus your true self making decisions. And um, I've, I've reread Eckhart's stuff like three times over and I almost need to revisit it just to kind of, you know, practice my own self-awareness at times or help me from getting really bogged down into a particular problem. So uh, I would say that's probably my, my last reco. Totally. I, it's funny because I actually, with Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, that's mm -hmm. something that I revisit constantly just because just mm -hmm. reading certain passages, just like sometimes you got to get too stuck in your head or there's just yeah. like happens and you have to take a step back and just read it and just like, oh shit, like, uh, excuse my language again, but it's like, okay, like, take that time, be mindful, be present, right? And not kind of get stuck up in like the thoughts that are ahead, right? Um, and for me, like same thing to you before is like, you know, with the whole anxiety piece. Uh, but thank you so much for blessing us these three amazing books. I'm just slowly adding away, adding more to our, to our reading list. And I'm just very, very slowly chipping away at it. <laughs> That's, you have to with those kinds of books though. You have to just like, I usually do a business book and then a couple of fiction and like then revisit it. Cause you gotta let it, you gotta let it work for you. Yeah. Now Lauren, for our listeners and for everyone that is uh, on the uh, listening right now, tuning in, where can we find you on social media, on Instagram, on through email or wherever? Yep. So um, I'm always available by email. So Lauren at the running physio.ca. Uh, our Instagram is the underscore running underscore physio. And that's uh, that's a collaborative effort between myself and um, Amanda. She's just like Instagram queen. Um, 
I'm also, we're actually running the first official real running course for clinicians that is in a couple of weeks. The, the last day for the sign up, the registration on that is this Friday, but um, the booklets are being printed as we speak and I'm going to try and have them mailed out by the end of the week to everybody who's signed up. And essentially what that course teaches is the three cornerstone framework. Um, it's, it's a nice little hybrid course of being tentatively based in research because the running research is really only tentative at best and it's a lot of clinical experience and skills and sort of like takeaway gems that you can use immediately so anyone sort of interesting interested in getting into the running niche a little bit more it's a it's a nice one to sign up for um, and that is the 22nd and 23rd of this month so coming up pretty quickly amazing and that's and that's yeah. available on they can find out more on the running physio site yep the runningphysio.ca is our website. Uh, yep, and there's a floor clinician session section on the website. You can just sign up through there. Perfect, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Lauren, for having you on today. Learned so so much. We could honestly talk for hours, okay. but you know, my colleagues are gonna get uh, a little bit upset because <laughs> we're going we're going more today. But thank you <laughs> again. Um, hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Justin. Thanks so much. See you later. Thank you everyone for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time.